The reading is from John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be um, here again, sharing the word of God with you. And actually, I'm going to be just sharing some readings from a new book that I just got from Jonathan Carswell. Um, (laughs) It's actually a real privilege to be sharing with you because there's great encouragement to be had from the verses that we just heard. For some of us, we hear those verses and it fills us with intrepidation because we don't feel like we're enough. We don't feel like we're fruitful enough. We don't feel like we're obedient enough. We don't feel like we're good enough. But there is such encouragement in these verses. And I am, you can tell I'm not behind the pulpit, I'm I'm bursting to share it with you. God loves you. God loves you. And he has appointed you for fruitfulness. And that doesn't matter how you feel or what you think of yourself. That is an actual fact that God has ordained. So Alex Ferguson is very well known as a football manager. There may be one or two Man United fans in here this evening who are lamenting the fact that he's still not the uh, manager of Manchester United, won several titles and um, very respected, not just in the football um, field, but also um, just uh, amongst those who are managers and and leaders in various um, sectors. What many don't know uh, about Sir Alex Ferguson is the fact that he has a, a very salubrious Uh, a very extensive and um, highly valued wine collection. It's true. He's said to have over 10,000 bottles of wine. Now, you have to understand that 
This wine collection is worth a lot of money. Wines can go for a lot of money when sold. In fact, they say that the most expensive bottle of wine that has been sold was sold for $500,000, half a million dollars for one bottle of wine. That would be quite an expensive cheese and wine evening, I think, by anyone's <laughs> reckoning. It took me a long time to learn, actually, what a cheese and wine evening was coming from South London. <laughs> but Sir Alex Ferguson, once in 2014, he sold 5,000 bottles of wine. I don't know, maybe he just felt like he'd have a clear out. <laughs> Bit of spring cleaning. He sold 5,000 bottles, and do you know how much he made for just selling those, those bottles of wine? Almost four million pounds. See, wine is highly valued, and it's actually even considered an investment. Tonight, God is saying that he wants to show you off like his highly valued vintage wine collection. Now, some of you might say, less of the vintage, please. <laughs> but God loves you, and he's appointed your fruitfulness. As Jesus, in his last hours of life, addresses the disciples, he says to them, I am the true vine. And, and we understand that Wine comes from grapes, and grapes come from vines, and, and, and there are vines that are better than others. Uh, there are certain regions. So that, that bottle that was sold for uh, half a million dollars came from a particular region that is known for being a, a really rich, verdant, um, flourishing vineyard. And, and when Jesus said, I am the true vine, he wasn't saying, you know, I, I'm to be compared with other vineyards. And you know, you know about good wine in these parts. You remember at the, the, the wedding of Cana, uh, the wedding of Cana in the Bible, not Cana, my granddaughter, who's probably here somewhere, thinking, why am I calling her up to the stage? No, I'm not calling you Cana, sorry. At the wedding of Cana, they said, You've saved the best wine for last. I've never tasted wine so good. They knew about good wine. In fact, in Israel at that time, uh, vines and, and grapes were considered a, a national symbol, a symbol of flourishing and, and prosperity. Over the entrance to the temple, they had a huge cluster of grapes that was bigger than a person, made of gold. On their coinage, um, during the time between the Old and the New Testament, they, they would have a symbol of grapes, a huge bunch of grapes on their coinage. And so there was a sense in which there was an appreciation for wine, good wine, but grapes as a symbol of flourishing and what you might call opulence, high living. But that wasn't Jesus' first reference. And, and as his disciples heard him, there would have been undoubtedly considerations in their minds going back to 
Isaiah 5, verses 1 and 2. Because in Isaiah, the Lord has spoken previously and demonstrated that actually vines are important to him. Vines are important to him and there is a history among the people of Israel that is associated with a vine. And so as we look at Isaiah chapter 5, and verses 1 and 2, listen to this. This is, this is called the song of the vineyard. It says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Side note, I went to Surprise View today. Um, if you're not from Keswick, I would recommend you go there and see the view from Surprise View. Absolutely astounding. And talking about a fertile hillside, I mean, you saw the lake and the lake and the hills. It was beautiful. And as I've been preparing and I had this in my mind, I thought, imagine. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And this song was being sung about Israel as God's vineyard. But they never delivered the vintage that God was looking for. And Jesus says, this, the seventh of his I am sayings, I am the true vine. Israel has been considered God's vineyard and they've not come up to scratch. But I am the fulfillment of that expectation. Hmm. They would have given Jesus at that moment their entire attention. Jesus goes on to say, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. When I, I was growing up, I remember an, an advert on television and it was a, a, an advert for fruit juice. And they, they had a, a slogan that would come on at the end of the advert. The man from Del Monte, he say... Yes. Yeah, showing our age, eh? <laughs> and, and the father is presented like the man from Del Monte, the discerning fruit inspector who's testing the fruit and... Mm, And there's a clear sense that whatever fruit that Jesus produces as the vine is in keeping with the Father's expectations. And the Father has expectations because for anyone to plant a vineyard, they would invest 
They would invest time and they would invest effort and they would sacrifice land that they could use for many other things. And we see that the father invested his very own son in order that he might see the fruit that was required. And so as we look at the text, there are some basic things for us to answer here. Quite crucially, what is the fruit that is expected? And how can we be fruitful? And, and there's a lot at stake because actually in verse 2, it says any branch that does not produce fruit will be cast into the fire. And that's quite an ominous expectation. And so we feel even more needing to understand what is this fruit that I'm expected to bear? What is this fruit? Well, first and foremost, it's necessary to say that the fruit is not as I used to think when I was growing in the Lord and as many have said, oh, you've got to be a real evangelist winning souls for Christ. You've got to be out there, I mean, You would think that as somebody who is uh, leading a mission agency and encouraging the church to evangelize, that actually I'm doing myself out of a job here. But that's not what it is. Interestingly, we see Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, identify the fact that not everyone who comes to him and says, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the ones who does the will of my father, remember, the father is the gardener. It's his expectations that are to be met, not our own and what we think he wants. And then Jesus goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Never had relationship with you. Never. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, it's not that the things that they were calling on and appealing to on their behalf, it's not that those things were not good things, but... They were not the fundamental thing. They were coming before Jesus and they didn't put first things first. They were coming before Jesus and appealing to him on the basis of their works. But we understand that our salvation is not by works, but it's through faith. It's by grace through faith. And they didn't come with an appeal of faith because we trust in you. They came trusting in their works. And so when we consider the the father's expectations, we're to recognize that it's not 
our works in the first instance. Those things are a byproduct. The first fruits that we're to bear are actually much more fundamental. Now, it's important, before I go any further, that we understand it's not by works, because as we see this picture of a vineyard that we're being presented as, uh, the branches of, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. As we see this picture of the vineyard, we have to understand that in this instance, Jesus is not calling us to the Tree Olympics. If there ever was such a thing. And the fact that there is no such a thing as the Tree Olympics should give us a great clue as to how this works. What do I mean by the Tree Olympics? How many of us have ever seen a tree doing work to bear fruit? You can just imagine the scene. Apple trees over here. Branches stretching, limbering up. You see see what I've done there? Limbering up. Pear tree over here. Ugh. Just making sure that they're ready for the, 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 the fruit, fruit-bearing activities. Orange tree over here. All of them getting ready to do their best to wave their branches and produce fruit. It doesn't happen. It's not by works. What we do see is that it is according to Faith and godly character. Faith and godly character. In that um, same text of Isaiah, in verse 7, it says here, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So what the Lord was looking for in terms of fruit was righteousness and justice. Now again, that can almost sound like, but surely that's works, right? Not in the first instance. Because our righteousness does not come by our works, but by faith in the work of Christ. And so when we consider our faith being our first work, the religious leaders said to Jesus in John 6, what must we do that we might work the work of God? And his response was, Believe in the Son and him who has sent him. Faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall be revealed by faith. And yet, faith and justice, faith and and godly character, righteousness and justice, Justice, not in the sense in which we hear it so often used today, social justice. 
True justice comes from those who are of just character. As we look at Galatians 5, we see the character of Christ displayed, portrayed in the fruit of the Spirit. Many would know this by heart. Galatians 5, 22, 20 to 23. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are virtues, these are attributes that we possess and that are revealed through us as we submit ourselves to the work of God's Spirit, which is why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And and I note that it's fruit singular. Fruit singular, not fruits. None of us get a a, a get-out-of-jail card. None of us get a free pass because, well, you know, I kind of have the love-joy-peace bit. Those fruits, but those other fruits are a bit too testing, a bit too challenging. No, in Christ... He has deposited the seed of that fruit within us by his spirit. And if you look at the, those nine aspects as segments of one fruit, it, it feels like the stem of them all, on which all of the segments hang, is love. Love. In our chapter in John 15... Jesus says, my command is love one another as I have loved you. This is what he's looking for from his disciples in that moment. This is my command, love each other in verse 17. But notice, the love first that must be recognized is his love for us. God loves you. And it's in that love that our hearts are so filled to respond to him with love. And so you could say that the fruit that the Lord is looking for is faith and love. Now, it's important because if we think about it in those terms, it helps to distinguish from those who might be considered really good people. Those who are, who are moral people. I mean, I'm sure that many of us work alongside people who are just generally good people. In the eyes of others. Even in our own eyes. And, and you know, they would even be quite patient and quite kind and quite charitable quite gentle in their ways, and you'd, you'd look and think, how does my fruit look different to theirs? Is their fruit going to be acceptable to the, to the Lord? But again, I underline the importance of the fact that that, that loving demeanor comes from a place of faith in Jesus and is a response to the love of Christ that, has, that we've received. And there's a distinct difference. That's, that's the prerequisite that we have 
understood and appreciated. We've had a revelation of God's love for us and we have responded in faith. And that's what pleases the fruit inspector. It's it's not enough just to be a good person. He's looking first for faith. Ah, faith's there. Okay, let's see the character that comes from that. So that's what the fruit is. How are we to be fruitful? How do we do this? Well, the first thing is actually very challenging. Because Jesus says that he prunes the tree that will bear fruit. Now, he's already said in verse 3 that you are clean through God's word. And so there's a sense in which he has prepared us for fruitfulness by the entrance of his word into our lives and us having responded to that. And so it's not as if we have to get ourselves. The disciples weren't sitting thinking, okay, uh, this is a, a... something we need to take into consideration. We're being expected to produce fruit and actually, how are we going to go about doing that? What do we have to do? He's reassured them, you've received my word. That is what has prepared your heart as the soil, prepared you for fruitfulness. And so when he says in verse 3, you are clean through my word, this is what he means. And yet... Pruning is necessary in order for us to be healthfully fruitful. And pruning involves discomfort. Pruning involves pain. And there's one thing that I've seen in, in my walk as a Christian, and in, even in recent years. Often the way that people respond to the the pain and the difficulty in their life distinguishes them from someone who is generally genuinely fruitful and those who are not i've seen friends people that i've loved people that i've done ministry with walk away from the lord because They've not endured the pain of their circumstances. Pruning will not only prepare us, but it will prove us. Because the heart that is filled with Christ's love and truly understands by faith that we are loved, that heart says, even though there's pain in my life, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. It, it doesn't mean that I'm not cherished by him. It, 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 it doesn't mean that he doesn't have good intention. He has good intentions for me, despite the pain. He loves me despite the pain. He himself endured the pain. 
that I might have eternal hope. And you may be going through pain and feeling like, as somebody once said, Lord, if this is the way you treat your friends, no, no wonder you have so few. Because it's hard. And yet, it's through pruning that the Lord increases our ability to produce fruit, to bear fruit. The other thing to note about pruning is that it means there will be seasons when we are less fruitful than other seasons. I don't live in a rural area, but I've got YouTube. <laughs> in fact, actually, my, I, grew, I was brought up with my grandmother. Um, she, she brought me up and she was quite a keen gardener and she would grow roses and carnations. And for a long time, I never understood when she would take out the succoteers, the, the, the cutting, um, uh, pruning scissors, and, and she would clip off parts of the, the, the rose. And I'm thinking, they're the good bits. Why are you cutting them off? And she's stripping away foliage and cutting off stems. And at the end of it, it just looks pretty stark and barren. And I'm thinking, wow, that was a waste. <laughs> and then fruit-bearing season comes and all of the blossoms pop and glisten in the, the dew of the morning and the rich colors and the smell comes. And in that instance, I, I, I forget the, the time of stark barrenness and the season when it just looked like dry stems. You may be in one of those seasons and feeling quite discouraged. Maybe even questioning yourself. But understand and be reassured that these seasons are normal in the Christian life. So often when we're walking with people who have come out of really tough lifestyles, maybe they've been in, involved in... in addictive behavior and so on and they're, they're struggling in, in their relationship with the Lord at points and they're, they're feeling the, the pull of temptation and they're slipping in their walk and then they feel like I'm terrible and I'm no good and I, I'm just I'm going to give this up because I, clearly I'm not a Christian do you know that you're loved by God? yes do you trust Jesus to save you? yes Keep pressing on. These seasons are normal in the Christian life. And yet, we're called to persevere pruning. And there are so many verses that I'm sure you're even now calling to mind about the way in which suffering produces character and suffering causes us to enter into joy, as James speaks of. And so, pruning is one thing. The other is remaining in the Lord. Remaining. What does it mean to remain? In verses 9 and 10, here in John 15, 
Jesus says this, as the, the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. That's the first step. Know that you're loved by God. And keep believing that. Regardless of how fruitless you feel, how painful life is, keep believing that you are loved by God. Jesus then goes on to say, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And so it's knowing that we are loved that motivates us to to obedience. There's this deep sense of gratitude in our hearts that causes us to want to please the one who loved us and gave himself for us. If if we find that we're, we're struggling with obedience to the Lord in our lives, the first thing isn't to try and muster up the will and the strength to do better. But it's actually to get lost again in the love of the Lord. And just know how, just remain in his love. Just know how much he loves you. And it's in response to this that we then love others. And, and as Jesus is saying this, he's, you know, we, we are called to love everyone. But there's a special love that we're to have for our brothers and sisters. Sam talked about it this morning, right, in the, in the three tests from 1 John. John spoke about love more than anyone else in the Bible. They, they called him the apostle of love. That doesn't mean he walked around with an open neck shirt. <laughs> Mr. Lover, lover. No. <laughs> he had a deep revelation of God's love and he loved the Lord hard. And he was always encouraging and exhorting and instructing and urging us to love one another. And so you had the three tests this morning. What was it? The obedience test and the the love test and the belief test. And in the love test it says, if you say you love God and don't love your brother and sister, then the truth is not in you. That's one of the wonderful things about walking around Keswick. It's my first time here and I'm walking around. And I was walking in this evening and a brother was walking beside me, just past me. And he looked at me and he looked very serious. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? And he looked at me and he said, be blessed. (laughs) And I was like, praise be to God. The love of the saints. I thought I was in trouble then. (laughs) That kind of love is not replicated in, in the world. There's a special love that we share as God's people. So remain in God's love as we then respond to that love in loving others. Also remain in God's word. Remain in God. In Psalm 1, we see a picture of a fruitful tree. And that fruitful tree is a, 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 a metaphor, a picture of someone who 
meditates in God's word day and night. And that person who meditates in God's word day and night, who doesn't walk in the counsel, in the advice and the guidance and the worldview of the ungodly, but meditates in the word day and night. And, it's, and that tree will be like a tree that's planted by rivers of water. It's always got a constant source of nourishment. And it brings forth its fruit in its season. Praise be to God. Continue in God's love. Continue in God's word. Remain Be focused, be diligent, be dedicated. And in this, we are filled with the Spirit. And it is He who produces fruit in our lives. There's no need for us to try and create the Tree Olympics. We just continue in God's love, knowing that we're loved and loving Him in response. And we continue in God's word where we get greater and greater revelation of his love for us in Christ. And it will come out. That fruitfulness will flow. And it doesn't mean that you have to be out there trying to do all sorts of works. And No, it's it's, as the slogan says, hearing, becoming, and then serving. We, we serve from the reservoir, the overflow of who we are. Now, Jesus says, just to make it clear, without me, you can do nothing. And that sounds like, Jesus, have you been to Dubai? Have you seen these islands that they've created? Have, have, have you seen these buildings that they've, they've constructed? You're saying we can do nothing? says, no, no, no branch that um, does not abide in me can bear fruit. You see, when Jesus says, without him we can do nothing, he's not just talking in general terms, as God has ordained for us to fulfill the creation mandate. But he's talking about doing anything that will please the fruit inspector. There's no pleasing God apart from Christ. And maybe you're here and you've come along today or even this week and you've come along with a family member and you're kind of sitting on the fence. And, you know, you've heard of Jesus and you you know about God, but you're not quite... I want to say to you today, there's no pleasing God apart from Jesus. Jesus said it here. Without him, you can do nothing Dot, 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 to please the fruit inspector. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Put your trust in Jesus. He has revealed his love through his death on the cross. He laid down his life for you. Believe it and receive it and respond to him with love. Because 
As Jesus says in verses 2 and verse 6, the unfruitful branch is thrown into the fire. That, that nothing is very important because without the fruit that we've looked at, that, that sense of faith in Christ that, that results in us responding in love, displaying his character, the fruit of the Spirit, without that being worked in us by him, there is only judgment. God's looking for a return on his investment. Jesus is the one he's invested. And he's looking for a return on the giving of his son. And so I'll end with this in verse 16 of chapter 15. Jesus said, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that, so that you might go and bear fruit. Think about that for a minute. This is Jesus speaking. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. You have faith in Christ? So that faith has been granted as a gift. The Lord chose you. And, and he chose you to go and bear fruit. And it's fruit that will last. And, and he's, he goes on to say that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And that doesn't mean that it's a blank check. You know, I grew up thinking, whatever you ask in the name of the Father, a Mercedes will be wonderful, Lord. A, a, a house with a two-car two garage. No, no, no. This is... Lord, help me be more fruitful. Lord, help me endure pruning. Lord, help me love others the way you've loved me. That's what the context helps us to understand. And so we don't have to fear not being sufficient because God is sufficient. Amen? And so as we conclude this evening... The Lord's taken us from forbidden fruit in Genesis 3 to forgiven fruitfulness. And God has chosen you and appointed you to bear fruit because of his love that he has set upon you in Christ. And you can do that wherever you are, whether you're a mum at home looking after your children or you're doing the nine to five, or you're a paramedic on duty, or whatever your sphere of life, you don't have to be in a pulpit, you don't have to be, you know, uh, going to Bible college with, uh, and sitting under James. All of those things are good. But right wherever you are, you're able to bear fruit because it is to the glory of God the Father. Jesus wants to shine through you. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you so much for the way in which you have set your love upon us 
and, and you relieve us of the burden of having to try and produce fruit that we cannot do ourselves. But we thank you for granting us faith, for giving us your spirit, for working in us. We thank you for filling us with your love that we might respond to you in love and become more like you. And in doing so, Father, bring you great glory. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to go and be fruitful for the glory of your name. Amen.